I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Arnie Duncan has resigned as Secretary of Education. Uh, I know this happened uh, a week or so ago, but uh, it's still really uh, quite uh, amazing news. Uh, I have with me today Michael Horn, who has watched Arnie Duncan's fostering of the blended learning space and the digital learning space uh, over the past number of years. Uh, Michael is uh, the uh, director of the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, or I should say he has been for the past 10 years because uh, Michael has just uh, announced that he's moving on uh, to become a consultant to the uh, people working in this industry. And, uh, but uh, for somebody who has uh, complete understanding of this field, I don't know of anybody uh, more appropriate than to discuss this than, than Michael Horn. So, Michael, uh, Arnie Duncan leaving, does this leave blended learning high and dry? <laughs> I, I, well, I don't think it does in the sense, which is that the blended learning movement is more of a grassroots and state-led movement than a federal one. Uh, and while under Secretary Duncan, uh, there were certainly some very big pushes around digital and personalized learning through the Race to the Top District, uh, which was exclusively around personalized learning, some big initiatives around extending broadband access in this country in schools, uh, funding Connect Ed, which was funding computers in schools, uh, and, and so forth, uh, which, were, which were nice to see the Secretary give uh, uh, the bully pulpit to at the very least. Uh, I, I think the movement uh, will be fine without without uh, with a change in leadership. So it's really more of, uh, driven by developments at the state and local level, and and more by uh, really uh, innovation and yeah. uh, new products being invented and uh, proof. There's got to be the pudding has to have some proof in it, right? That's right, and I mean I think what we've always wanted the the, the federal government to do is help shed transparency on that, but uh, but. You know, uh, other than that, it's really a grassroots level. Like you said, it's these fascinating ed tech products coming out, uh, teachers getting excited about this, students getting excited about this, and then seeing does it actually work and, and which ones, which uh, innovations do we further and which ones do we say, well, that was nice. Well, <laughs> stepping back from that particular topic to a broader assessment of Arnie Duncan, uh, my own feeling about him is that his impact as Secretary of Education has not been as um, overwhelming as I had once anticipated when he first came into office. Uh, having been an experienced superintendent in Chicago and doing some very creative and imaginative things in that city and having the very close approximation to the president that comes with being a basketball player, uh, that these were assets that might really move education front and center uh, in the way that it was in the beginning of the Bush administration. It probably would be something different, but it would be no less important. But to me, education has slipped down on the list of things that people think about in national politics under his tenure. 
Uh, can you hold him responsible for that? I, I think in I, I think in the beginning, my own opinion was you know there was a big excitement in the education circles around race to the top and the I three fund and which was really attached to the stimulus and there was a lot larger funding for the status quo in that right. And then I think as people started to peel back the details of that and see what impact is actually going to come of this, are the states actually going to live up to their promises and so forth? And then there wasn't ever really a push from the department to renew, re- reauthorized uh, the ESEA, No Child Left Behind now, known as uh, law, which I think I think you're right. I think it sucked away national attention in a really Im- uh, important way that we needed to update that law. And I, I just think it dissipated a lot of the energy around that over the last couple of years. You know, Race at the Top was certainly his... Um signal achievement, uh, when that was announced, uh, the media grabbed onto it as the biggest story out there. And the press coverage was extensive. Every state felt that they had to submit a proposal. Those that won, uh, you know, trumpeted the fact. Nobody paid much attention to the fact that it was only $5 billion in an $800 billion industry. You know, it's sort of a rounding error. Uh, They all played up the the competition. The idea of competition was very compelling to the media. And the idea of a race, a race to the top. Um, The the politics of that were, were totally brilliant at the beginning. But like you say, there wasn't really much follow-through on it. And the reporting hasn't been much follow-through either, right? I mean, the number of reporting of how many states have fulfilled the lofty promises they made in, made in these uh, consultant-created uh, documents that they submitted to get uh, the race to the top uh, uh, money, I, I feel like that's a back-page story of, oh, they missed their teacher eval system or they missed that. And, and the follow-through has not... Uh, from a reporting but then excitement perspective, I think not been maybe what we had hoped. Well, it did have a huge effect on waivers because the waiver policy comes right behind race to the top and the waiver policy was basically saying you don't have to follow a lot of these regs that are associated with no child left behind if you will adopt some of these reforms that you promised you would undertake in the race to the top. So in a sense, it has had a huge impact in this, by virtue of the fact that No Child Left Behind has lost all of its teeth. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that goes to the point of there was just never a push to engage in a serious conversation around reauthorization there and fix, you know, I think what some people feel are real flaws there, but instead it was sort of this end run that they kept doing. And uh, I, I think it had the effect, like you say, of just stripping it of teeth and then not leaving any state shore of where True North was from the federal government going forward. I think we did learn one important thing, which is you can get states to run uh, initially through lots of hoops for small amounts of money, and the changes you can affect are, are what I would describe as market condition changes. So you got rid of caps on charter schools, for example, in certain states in the hopes that they would get funding. What you couldn't do was... Uh, ask that they execute their promises really, really well, like the teacher eval systems or some of those things. Like the operational things, this sort of prize idea wasn't terribly good at, I think. You might even say that uh, the emphasis on teacher evaluations backfired. I agree. Because uh, it's inspired within the labor movement uh, an opposition group. You see it in most obviously in Chicago, in Arne Duncan's Chicago, 
uh, where a left group, left wing group, captures control of the union, makes anti-teacher evaluation the centerpiece of their campaign against the mayor, who himself was associated with the Obama administration, Rahm Emanuel, and. Uh, and that conflict in Chicago really gets repeated throughout the country, and the unions now are pushing back on teacher evaluation in a way they were not before race to the top. That's right. And, and the, the other thing that goes along with that that we unbelievably have not mentioned yet is Common Core. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I, Mike Petrilli's not here with us, but the uh, I, I think that there, there was money held out, right, it, to, around creating assessments for Common Core and encouraging people to adopt uh, high-quality standards, which were understood to be Common Core. So an initiative that did not start with Arne Duncan has become closely identified with him. And then there's been a huge backlash on that as well, uh, uh, certainly across the uh, Republican Party and then a lot of the opt-out movements in, in, uh, in, in liberal parts of the country as well. Well, you know, you have this strange alliance that's emerged almost between, between the sort of Tea Party Republicans and the labor union, uh, teacher union groups uh, who are both opposed to federal control in education, especially as it comes down through common core standards, accountability, teacher evaluations, all these things are now being lumped together into one big thing. And uh, whoever takes uh, the place of Arne Duncan in the long run, I know we have... Uh, um, and now Secretary King, yeah. Yeah, Secretary King. I doubt that he's going to be much more than a caretaker down through the end of the administration. But uh, after the next election, it's going to we're probably going to see a new departure, is my guess. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, uh, and, and I think the ESEA um, uh, compromise bill that has been agreed to in the Senate, no clue what will happen in the compromise in, with the House, but uh, I think reflects that, right? Whereas there was a lot of enthusiasm for setting high standards from Washington and, and encouraging that, it's much looser on that now, right? And and so you're, you're getting to... Uh, a, a diffuser idea of, of devolving power back, I think, in some ways, to the states, which is a pretty big departure if you think of No Child Left Behind uh, and, and maybe the Duncan years in some ways is the advance of the federal government. That this is a bit of a movement back in some ways. You know, if you go back to sort of 1965 mm. when um, Lyndon Johnson passed the Elementary and Secondary Education Act and we had about 5% invested in education by the federal government, then it goes up to 10% under Jimmy Carter's leadership. And then at the beginning of the Obama administration, it actually goes to 14% with the stimulus package. And you could have said, we are on the way to one-third, one-third, one-third funding in in, uh, education with uh, the federal government coming up with a third of the price tag. And I, I think a lot of people felt that once the stimulus package was passed, that pattern would hold and be strengthened as you went downstream. Now I think we have to sort of say that's not going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. If you think of 1965 on as a layered, with the exception of maybe a few years in the Reagan administration, uh, backing away, but otherwise just a steady increase of the federal role in dollars. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think uh, we the opposite is probably going to happen now. And that's a that's a big shift and an interesting legacy for someone who I think would have wished for the opposite. Well, Michael, this has been great chatting with you today. And uh, congratulations on your uh, move forward in the blended learning space. And we're 
uh, eagerly awaiting to hear uh, the dynamite consequences of your recent decision. Well, my resignation may be not the uh, newsworthiness of, of Secretary Duncan's, but I'll, uh, I'll do my best to keep surprises coming. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org. Thank you.